Welcome to episode 87 of the Various and Sundry podcast. I am your host, Matt Harmon, joined live from the Vault Studio on the beautiful campus of Grace College and Theological Seminary by my good friend, my colleague, my co-host, and the man who has declared war on Yellow Jackets, John Scott Sloat. Doc, what's happening? Well, it's a lovely Monday afternoon here uh, in lovely Winona Lake. Yeah. Do you teach on Mondays? I don't. Okay. Okay. I taught this morning. Yes. Yes. Uh, but, but you're a third class of- Third class, yeah. Of Greek one? Yeah. Second class, I could smell fear. And now it's palpable? It's, it's Well, a- I think it subsided a little bit. <laughs> okay. Because the second class, you know, first class, like the alphabet, how to pronounce Greek, those sorts of things. The, se- the second class was like, okay, here's your introduction to the noun system. Yeah. And I think that was a little intimidating. Okay. Um, I got emails over the weekend that were just like, I didn't understand a word you said. <laughs> you didn't get any that were, what's a noun, did you? No, no, no. Okay. They seem to know what nouns are. <laughs> okay. Um, because obviously, uh, you know this, but our listeners may not. Probably about 30% of teaching beginning Greek is reteaching the English grammar oh, yeah. that most students didn't really latch on to. Oh, yeah. I I have gotten questions about what is an indirect object, okay. what is a direct object. Yeah. But uh, for the but, most part, they know what a noun is. OK. That's good. That's good. But yes. Uh, so Friday, there was there was fear. Today, we just did the second declension. OK. And, uh, and there was some more like, OK, this is tweaks, but virtually the same thing. Yes. So yes. it wasn't too bad. OK. Yes. Well, um, Speaking of getting in touch with one of us, if you'd like to contact the podcast, you can find us on Twitter at VNS Pod. You can email the show, various and sundry podcast at gmail.com. We're on Facebook, various and sundry podcast. We're on YouTube, various and sundry podcast. And I, I, I just don't know what to do other than to just throw it out there that. Yet another week has passed with no, with no reviews. New yeah. reviews. Yeah. But if you'd like to do us a solid, you could leave us a five-star rating and a glowing review. You could do that. That'd be great. Okay. This is not on the rundown, but I thought about this over the weekend. Oh, boy. So we're going off script early. Totally off script okay. right away. Whatever happened to the cicadas? I think they're out there. Don't you hear them chirping at night? I have not seen any evidence in my on my property of cicadas in our neighborhood. Nothing. Do well, you have evidence of them? Other than the sound of them. But my understanding is they, they burrow into like the roots of trees. Right. Of big trees, old trees. Your property, quite frankly, spoilers for listeners, <laughs> does not have a lot of big trees on it. No. No, though I have some neighbors who have, you have some, some bigger neighbors, trees. But you don't hear them at night? No. Really? I no. hear them at night. I feel like – I feel like there was this big like this is going to be the summer of the cicadas. Yeah. They're going to be covering your grass and your driveway and all this sort of stuff. And I'm like, like a, I was expecting like a plague of Egypt yes. sort of moment, and that yes. that hasn't come to pass. And I experienced that when I lived in Ohio. It would have been the late '90s because you know the cycles work differently depending on where you are in, in the parts mm-hmm. of the country. And I remember, I remember it, but um, yeah, I just. I feel like I was sold a bill of goods. Yeah. Yeah, we, we – I, I mean we just never got them. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Sorry. Had to, I, I just I, – I thought – we mentioned them earlier in the, in, the, in the year about this was going to be the summer of the cicadas and yet it just never materialized. It, no, it hasn't happened. OK. 
Well, let, let's talk into some about something that's a little bit more in our wheelhouse than Sedatus. Yeah, 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 than old bugs. Yeah. Okay, what is going on with your Mets? There was a bit of a uh, – Other a, than utter free fall? Uh, yeah. There, there was there was a story that broke over the weekend about mm-hmm. um, something the Mets players were doing as an indirect way of essentially flipping off the crowd. Well, hold on, hold on. They're not. They're not. They're not flying the bird. No, 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 no. But they're okay. Describe what they're okay, doing. So they are doing when when they do something good. Yeah. They are pointing – I don't know if it's to the – well, it, it's like a it thumbs is, down. It's a thumbs down. Yeah. Um, double thumbs down. And uh, and somebody – you know, and baseball teams are notorious for having like weird, awkward celebrations like this anytime something good happens. Yeah. If you're going to play 162 games, you got to have you dumb gotta, things like yes. this to pass the time. Yeah, sure. And to build team camaraderie, yeah. those sorts of things. Uh, so they've started doing thumbs down, which is – of the ones I've seen, is pretty weird. Right. You know, that that feels very negative, all, all these things. Finally, they've been doing it for about a month. Finally, a reporter asked about it on Sunday night um, to our newest player, Javi Baez, uh-huh. um, who got traded from Chicago. Yeah. And uh, he said, oh, when we do something well, we're booing the fans with that double <laughs> thumbs down because we're tired of being booed every time we do something poorly. Okay. So I feel like my description of sort of sort of flipping the, off the fans is not far off the mark. Perhaps some exaggeration. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, a little embellishment. But what is a good story without a little embellishment? Truthfully, absolutely. So, how do you, as a fan, feel about this? Um, well, I, I feel a couple of ways. Um, one, I don't think they had to tell anybody if that's what they were doing. Like, if you have a secret as a team that you're doing this, that's fine. Do your thing. Mm-hmm. Just don't tell the fans. Um, the other piece is the, – the other thing I'm hopeful for is that, you know, this this creates a us against the world, uh, sort of us against everybody, including our own fans, and they go on a winning streak. That hasn't happened. <laughs> um, so I guess it still could. But uh, yeah. they're going to get booed big time. Well, that's the thing. Once it's out in the public, oh, my goodness. it's only going to intensify the – the fan. Oh bully. my goodness! And those New York fans are not not the the friendliest bunch. No, you know this no. is this is not a yeah this is not Milwaukee. You know this, <laughs> this is not a nice Midwestern town. Yeah, uh, these are East Coast um, angry people. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and so I th- I think I think they're going to be fairly upset. Okay. Yeah, we should probably give a hat tip to both Nate from Ohio and Jordan from Indiana yeah, who, who uh, wanted us to talk yeah, about that. Text us so. about that. Yeah. Immediately. <laughs> um, yeah, but you know, I don't know if it's overly sensitive players or I I don't, I don't know what the situation is, but I feel like dude, you're you're playing poorly. Mm-hmm. What do you expect to yeah. happen to you? You know? Yeah. Like like they they have not lived up to their potential this season. Right. Yeah. Um, do you think – has the booing from your perception been uh, more than the sort of normal you would expect from poor performing uh, – from a poor performing fan base, a team of uh, – fan base of a team? Well, I, I think booing is – I don't know. I don't know what the right word is, but uh, it has a correlation to what expectations are. 
And so I think there were expectations and there was a lot of talk that the team was going to win the division, make the playoffs. And they've just sort of been – they had a good May and then they rode that um, through To the June. all-star break basically. Yeah, yeah. To, through June and most of July even. We're in first place and then August hit and we just – I think we won seven games in the month of August. It was bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think the booing is going to correlate with those things. You know, uh, it's when, when you have high expectations and the team is not living up to the expectations that everybody has, that the players say yeah. that they had. I, I think that's a recipe for getting booed. I wonder too if um, I wonder too if part of this is so last year a season with no fans, yeah, and now this year you finally have fans, and. So the players probably, you know, even in a year absence, can get a little out of the rhythm of being used to being booed like that. Mm-hmm. And I also wonder if, I mean, as our culture just gets more and more uh, intense and just angry, that if that's even just being more reflected in the intensity of the booing and even just players being like, "I'm sick of this. Like, I don't want to. I don't want to be the subject of this." Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and I think there are, there are some cities that are a little tougher to play in historically, oh, and I think New York is one of the tougher ones. Like yeah. Philadelphia certainly is up there. Yeah. Boston, I think, is up there. Nothing on the West Coast is up there, you know. Um, <laughs> but I think in the West Coast, they just want people to care. Yes, they want people to come. Yeah. You know, they want a movie star too. If yeah. that works out, you yeah, know, whatever. Yeah, totally. So, the uh, another big uh, sports story that came out of the weekend. Um, was uh, yesterday afternoon on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, so we're before the NFL season hasn't started yet. There was some preseason stuff going on. But um, ESPN aired a high school football game between IMG Academy, which is one of the premier um, high school prep academies for football in the entire country. And where are they located in? Florida, I think. Okay, okay. Um, and so they every year they're putting – you know, lots of kids into D1 programs at at the college level. So, you know, kids who think I'm going to be a football guy might leave their high school to go to IMG Academy, be among the elite, get good coaching, and then try to get, you know, an even better scholarship offer. Sure. So they played a team called Bishop Sycamore, which is, I think it's, I think it's an online charter school located in Ohio. And basically, ESPN uh, got duped into broadcasting this game because this Bishop Sycamore School claimed that they had several kids with D1 offers on their roster. And so they're like, sure, we need programming. We'll fill a Sunday afternoon with that. Mm-hmm. And they – during the broadcast, apparently they admitted, yeah, we weren't able to verify or any of these claims that some of these kids had D1 offers and the game was a blowout. I think the final score was like 58 to 6. And even Ooh. the commentators are, are saying things like someone could get hurt. Like the, the the disparity of talent was such that it's like kids could get hurt playing. So this. question. Mm-hmm. So ESPN got duped. Yeah. Uh, first, who was the broadcaster and was anybody th- – Super famous. I don't think it was. So was it Musburger? No, or no, any no, of no, these no, guys? no, no, okay. no. Um, and then could we also say that IMG got duped as well? Um, 
Or, or are they just looking for a cupcake, basically? Uh, th- yeah, I don't know that they – I think they might be one of those schools that's just uh, – we'll play anyone any, anywhere, anytime. Okay. So trip to Ohio, sure. We'll come up there and clean your clock and now does ES- and, and if it's going to be broadcast on ESPN, they, they don't care who they're playing. That's more exposure for their kids. For their players, yeah. Um, does ESPN sue Sycamore at, over this? I mean that's, that's a bit of false advertising. I don't know. Um, my guess is probably not because they just want this to go away because it's – It's embarrassing. so embarrassing. ESPN has their own recruiting service. Sure. How difficult is it to go to one of your own branches of your own company and say, hey, we got this school. Do you recognize any of these kids on your recruiting radar? Do you have any info on them that could help us? Like it, it was an it's an utter embarrassment for ESPN that they. But that's another fell for this. that's another building on campus, Matt. That's so far away. You know, it's not like <laughs> they right. have an electronic mail system that's or right. anything at ESPN. So yeah. yeah, shout out to ESPN for being duped on that. ESPN, the mothership. Yeah. The uh, I think the last thing that I thought we'd do is since um, we're coming up on the start of the regular season, is I thought it'd be interesting for us to go on record with our predictions of mm-hmm. our favorite football teams. Okay. So uh, the Jets open on September twelfth. Sounds that... right. Yeah. And who do they open with? Uh, Carolina. Okay. With Sam. With Sammy, Sam. Darnold. Sammy yeah. D. Yeah. yeah. Um. So. 17-game regular season. 17 games, yes. So they can't go 8-8. Eight and eight. I guess they could go 8-8-1. Eight, eight and one. They could go 8-8-1. Eight, eight, <laughs> what are you going with? Um, what's, their, what's their final record? Yeah, I'm going to go with – so it's got to be – I think it's seven wins. Uh, was it Nine. Is it six and seven and nine? No, no, that would have been the old system. Seven and been ten. Seven and ten. Yeah, seven and ten. That's what I'm calling right now. Okay. Seven and ten. Uh, they had Carl Lawson go out with a season-ending injury, so I would have said eight and nine. Or no, 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 no. nine and nine and. Gosh, I'm. I can't handle this new system. <laughs> nine and eight. Nine and eight. Yes, I was going to go nine and eight, but now that they've lost him, I'm going to go seven and ten. Okay. Yeah, the the whole seventeen game thing is it's throw me off. Messing with eight you. and eight was so beautiful. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Anyway, the question is going to be: Do the Jets start zero and six, destroy the season, and then and then start winning, and then yeah. you know finish seven and four? But it's irrelevant because they're out of the race. Yeah, I think they have they have better coaching um, right now. Did you see the hail mary they won on against Philadelphia or yeah. uh, tied on and? In the preseason against Philadelphia. I saw that they tied, which confused me. But Yes, yes. So they had all their backups in there. Right. Uh, third string quarterback rolls out to the right. Hail Mary and a big tight end in the end zone <laughs> who may be cut in the next <laughs> week catches right. the ball. Yeah. Um, so that was uh, marvelous. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I do like that they got rid of overtime in the preseason. No one wanted to play overtime. No one wanted to play overtime in the preseason. Though I don't know why you don't go for two there and just – Try to win. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. No, that's a good point. Give your kicker some reps. There you go. Um, so as far as uh, the Buckeyes, I feel a little conflicted here. But um, I, I'm going to go that they're going to finish 12-0 and in the regular season and and uh, win the Big Tens. I get you to 13-0, and make the college football playoff. 
um, but not win the national championship. Okay. Okay. That was my next question. And then I think it just depends on like it's hard to know at that point like what the pairing is once they get to the playoffs. Um, but I do think in terms of college football right now, I think um, most people are are picking Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, Ohio State, and probably Georgia as the best five, and then thinking the four playoff teams are going to come out of that. Mix. Okay. So, in any case, uh, we will see. I am not a prophet, nor the son of a prophet. But I am a teacher, and that leads us to our <laughs> wow, main topic tra- for today. What a transition. We're going to talk about, since we're at the starting of the school year, uh, what is it that makes a good teacher? So I thought we'd start with um, maybe who are some of your favorite teachers from uh, your educational experience? Um, gosh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, going all the way back to elementary, if you want. I know. Uh I think of uh, Mr. Oliver. Mr. Uh, Oliver. Yes. What did Mr. Oliver t- – was he like a great a grade school teacher? He was a high school teacher. Oh, he okay. was a um, history teacher. I could have picked that off of Mr. Oliver. For some Mr. reason that sounds yeah. like a, yeah. like a Ed, history teacher. Ed Oliver. Ed um, Oliver. Okay. You would get extra credit if you were 18 and voted. Um, you would get extra credit in the class. OK. Uh, but because our Christian school paid nothing um, <laughs> to their teachers um, – in the summer, he would be an usher at PNC Park in Pittsburgh. Okay. And so we talked a lot of baseball. Yeah. Um, we would get off track on baseball. We talked, <laughs> you know, Pirates history, Mets history. We talked We talked a lot of baseball. Um, and I just appreciated that, you know. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I was yeah. a decent student and paid attention and engaged in class, but, but also enjoyed talking baseball with him. Gotcha. How about you? So, well, I was going to ask. Um, okay. Oh, yeah, what, yeah, yeah. What, what is it? What is it that stood out about him as a teacher? Was it the fact that he was approachable and relatable to his yeah, students? Yeah, yeah, and would joke around, would, would would have a good time with us, and wanted us to come find him in PNC Park when we were there. Okay, um, so he wanted a relationship with us outside of class. Gotcha. Certainly, yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I think for me in my high school years, uh, the one that stands out um, for good reasons, have <laughs> some that stood out for, sure, for less than sure. good reasons. Um. Uh. Yeah. Anyway, I really enjoyed Mr. Inselman. Inselman. Yes, he was so, a history teacher as well. Okay, and also a football coach. Oh, doesn't uh, it feel like all coaches teach history? Yeah. Right. Just yeah, a little that bit. Interesting. Yeah. 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 And so, um, he. What I appreciated about him, I had him for AP American History, mm-hmm. and he made it interesting. He was a good storyteller. So he was more than just, here's the facts about American history. He would tell good stories that helped lock in the content of what you were learning Hmm. and kept your interest. And he had a clear passion for it, which was something that I think is – I circle back to in terms of just – he was excited about the material. And it, it was hard not to pick up some of his enjoyment and enthusiasm for the subject. I had other history teachers that it was clear they were not excited about the content. Sure. And oh my goodness, if there's a subject that needs someone to be enthusiastic and engaged with their subject matter, it's typically history, I think. Yeah, I think so. I think that's fair. Yeah, because as you well know, as a church history 
professor. Yes. Um, you can you can make history incredibly boring. Mm-hmm. Or you can make it really interesting by telling good stories and helping students see these people as real human beings wrestling with real issues and um, yeah. Yeah. So um, what about in your um, – what about after that? What about after high school? So college into seminary and beyond sort of thing. Any profs that stood out for you? Well, it's a little awkward since you were one of my profs. <laughs> we can exclude me okay. from the conversation. Okay. Oh, goodness. Um, well, let's see. Uh, I mean, Tom Schreiner really comes to mind as somebody mm-hmm. I really enjoyed having in the classroom. Yeah. Um, was, was engaging, thoughtful. I always appreciate humor. So, yep. so he, he is, at least in the classroom, I don't know what he's like at ETS, but, yeah. but he was a funny guy in the classroom. Uh-huh. Um, didn't take himself too seriously. Yes. That was always a big turnoff for me. And a professor was like, yeah. you know, they they are they are the high and mighty uh, individual. That yeah. that was never a uh, never something I enjoyed. But the right. the I don't take myself too seriously. I enjoy my subject. I enjoy being a content expert. I enjoy getting to know my students. I enjoy having a good time as well. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. How about how about yourself post high school? Uh, so I'll go with two quick ones. Um, I think that um, in uh, in college, I had a uh, a political science professor. So again, we're kind of we're in the realm of history slash political oh, science yeah. here. Um, uh, a prof named Michael Mumper. Michael Mumper. 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 There you go. Okay. And um, uh, it was actually in his class that I met Kate. Oh, really? But. Um, which is obviously noteworthy in and of itself. Sure, sure. Uh, but he was a very good professor because even though – this was at a secular university, Ohio University. Mm-hmm. Even though he was a committed uh, political liberal, he was remarkably fair in the way that he presented opposing views and even would take on uh, views that he didn't himself hold if he felt like someone was giving a caricature in oh the yeah. Class. So if someone who shared his political views jumped in and basically gave a caricature of a conservative position, he would argue back as if he held the conservative position and you're like, "Whoa, did he just change his mind?" Like, no, <laughs> he's just that good and understands the opposition position well to be able to argue for it. Yeah. So um that would be uh from my college days and actually I'll mention two from seminary. One was Don Carson just for his oh, sheer gosh. his yeah. sheer brilliance. Yeah. His ability off the top of his head to recall information and he would lecture from this little like notebook that had maybe like one page of like bullet points at best. Um and he would be teaching a class and he would off the top of his head be able to tell you, you know, well that's discussed in this journal article here or you know, this scholar holds this view but he's been responded to by this and his three points of response to like off the top of his head. It was just masterful, his his ability to grasp and retain and recall information. And he's he's a relatively he's he's pretty fair as well um, in yeah, his, in his so. judgments of others and yes. when a student yeah. presents a caricature. Yes. Yeah. And then the other one was uh, was Doug Moo, uh, who yeah, that makes sense. Similar to um, my undergrad prof 
he was very good at um, representing opposing viewpoints that even that he didn't hold mm-hmm. and was very quick to dismiss caricatures and make sure that students were presented with the best representations of views before he would then say, I still don't find that persuasive. But here's the best version of that view by the yeah. best advocates with the best arguments. So uh, those are some of the ones that, that, that stood out to me. But um, So when you think about teaching in general, um, as you think about what is it that makes a good teacher? What are some of the things that come to your mind when you think about even just maybe looking back at your experience of being under good teachers at points and saying, yeah. what was it that was really good about the way that they taught? Um, yeah, I bear with me on this one. I'm still forming this thought. But um, where it wasn't the student against the teacher, mm-hmm. but where it was the student and the teacher against the material, right? Like, like – like coming alongside the student to help them conquer the material in front of them and not okay. uh, not you know throwing the student out to uh, out to try to make it on their own if that, if that makes sense you know yeah. and I, I think I try to model Greek after that right now like I want it to be me and the student versus the language <laughs> a little bit if that makes sense yeah. and uh, and help them succeed in it yeah that's good that's good um, I think a lot just depends on which which teacher I'm thinking of. But, um, you know, I think that uh, as I as I reflect on different teachers that I've had that I have had an impact on me, I think one of the clear um, and consistent patterns is that they showed a genuine interest in their students beyond even the classroom. Yeah. And that can be as simple as just asking about, um, you know, when you're when you're in high school, things like, hey, you're on the cross country team. I, I heard you had, you know, I, I see you got a meet coming up. How's that looking? Or like, hey, you guys want to meet. That's great. Tell me about it. Like just showing personal interest uh, in the life of a student beyond just the direct content of the course. Um, and I think that 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 goes a long way towards being a an effective teacher, showing genuine concern for the person more holistically than mm-hmm. just whatever you know the content of the course is. Yes, I'll never forget. Uh, I had a paper that I was turning into Dr. Schreiner at at Southern, and we had we were around a table, and the point was we will, we would pass out our papers, everybody would read them. And then give response to the person who wrote yeah. them. That's a terrifying thing, isn't it? It was horrifying. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, I was not emotionally well equipped to deal with that at the time. I think I do a lot better now. But um, I remember presenting my paper, having PhD students rip it apart, having Dr. Schreiner rip it apart, and just remember class and going, "I survived." You know, you know that that was sort of the feeling, right? Like I survived. And I remember Tom Schreiner turn, turning to me and, and, you know, his own way going. So, so who do you got in the MLB playoffs? <laughs> you know, I, I'm really thinking the Pirates are going to show me something. You know, which yeah. the Pirates didn't end up winning. But anyway, he 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 was just very just like you know the let let's talk baseball right. because I like baseball. You know, yeah. and and even remembering 
the fact that you're a baseball fan yes. and that you had a connection with the Pirates having lived in Pittsburgh, having lived in Pittsburgh. For, for some yes. time. Yeah. So um, – and that's no small feat when you think about the fact he teaches at a school where he's where there's just you know there are literally thousands yeah. of seminary students. And, and I had so I had two classes with him that semester. One was that very small, intimate, twelve, fifteen students yeah. in the seminar. The other one was like two hundred people in a lecture hall. Unreal. And it was New Testament theology, and he basically taught from an outline that he put on his iPad and then projected on the screen and just yeah. sort of walked through it. Throughout the day, <laughs> yeah, and uh, and after class, I just remember students were getting just in lines to talk to him. Yeah, and you could ask him any question, and he would stay for like an hour. Yeah, and talk to students after. Yeah, remarkable. every class period, it was wild. Yeah, yeah. So let's. Um, I wanted to bring up a couple of biblical texts that come to mind um, when I think about the area of teaching. Uh, one of them, I, I think. Uh, I'm not saying surprising, but uh, when I think of teaching, one of the texts that first comes to mind is Deuteronomy 6, the Mm -hmm. Shema. You know, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Mm -hmm. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Well, it goes on to talk about how uh, Israelite parents were supposed to talk about the ways of God in the everyday ordinary context of their life. So it wasn't just a formal teaching, though there was certainly that expectation at some level. But a uh, in the context of observing my life, let's talk about the truth of God. Yeah, and that's one of the things that honestly I love about the fact uh, I love about what we do here at Grace is through uh, in part because we are a smaller school, I get to interact with students outside of the classroom in more of a ordinary life kind of way, and. Uh, that just provides opportunities to put some practical flesh onto the skeleton of this is biblical truth. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, I have a, an example of that this morning. I taught uh, I taught Greek, which is ha- I'm teaching in our rec center this year. We have a couple of classrooms over there, and I just went straight to the gym for my workout. Well, there's three or four of my not necessarily my Greek students, but students I've had in the past in there, and so you know as as I'm going from free weights or to a machine, I'm, I'm passing by them, able to catch up on life, see how they're doing, Yep. Um, see how internships went this summer, stuff like that was was really good. Nice. Yeah. And I think the other biblical text that comes to mind is uh, related to that is that when Jesus was asked what was the, what's the greatest commandment and he gives the – essentially repeats the Shema mm-hmm. and then says, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And I think um, – if you if you think about teaching as in one sense it's an act of worship because you're devoting yourself to God and the way that you're expressing your devotion to God is by communicating and this isn't doesn't just apply to spiritual topics or bible topics this can apply to math or science or literature or whatever else you might want to throw into that mix that how we actually approach teaching, if we approach it as a act of worship to God, that I think that makes a difference. Mm-hmm. I think it's it, it, it helps frame it from just a, well, there's this information and that person needs to know it, so here I go. And then, and then the second piece of that of love your neighbor as yourself. I think if you're going to do that well, you have to think about 
How do I help students understand this information and internalize it and apply it?、Mm-hmm. And that can vary from student to student. So I think being intentional about thinking of different ways to connect with students when it comes to that, and you know. I think some of the learning style stuff is way overblown. I think some、mm-hmm. there's even been research, recent research that sh- kind of shows that all of this like student learning style stuff is not all that it's cracked up to be in terms of some of the science that that's based on. But in any case, I do think that there is a sense in which students learn. Some students learn better through discussion because they're more external processors,、mm-hmm. and others thrive more on. I want to hear you lecture, and I want to internalize it and and think about it before I am ever asked to like respond or to reflect or to or to do anything with it.、Mm-hmm. And so I know that you know for me as a prof, I try to mix things up to some degree of yeah, some lecture, but get them into small group discussions,、sure. or then have them ref- write re- you know short reflections on things, or like just trying to. Think of different ways to engage the way different ways that people learn. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's good. All right, so let's talk some、uh, some key takeaways here、um, in terms of what makes a good teacher. Yeah,、um, some of these already hit on, but yeah, well,、uh, you mentioned teaching as an act of worship.、Um, I, I would also add teaching as vocation. Mm-hmm. Um, as a way to 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 fulfill love of neighbor,、yeah. you know, and to、uh, to to better the area around us, certainly. Yeah, you know, this might seem like an obvious one, but you and I have both been in 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 situations where we feel like this is not the case. Actual knowledge of the subject matter,、mm-hmm. you know, that seems like well, duh. But you know, we've all I think all of us have had experiences at some level where we're like. I don't know that the person teaching me this really、yeah. understands this themselves. So,、um, and I think along with that, I think good teachers are willing to say, "I don't know." Yes. Like, like if they get asked a question、oh, goodness, that they、yes. don't have a, a confident answer in, I think a good teacher is willing to say, "That's a good question. I'm not sure I have an answer for that. I'd like to think about that a little bit more." Or to say, well, I'm not sure what I think about that. Some people say this, other people say this. Here's something you can maybe run down yourself in terms of if you want to explore that a little bit more. But a willingness to to not to not present yourself as having every answer or feeling the pressure to have every answer. Yes,、um, Greek is great at teaching you to not have all the answers. <laughs> So why do the Greeks use rho as? Why do they make it like a p? And I'm like, I I just really have no idea. <laughs> I think I got the question last week.、Um, did did they base their alphabet on our alphabet, or did we base our alphabet on their alphabet? <laughs> like the and they were specific, like the word order. I'm like, I just have no clue. No clue.、Uh, indeed.、Um, Yeah, a passion for the subject matter is also good.、Um, Absolutely, yeah. Man, if hard to beat. Know, if you are, if you as the teacher are bored with the, with the material, how do you expect your students to engage it at any significant level of enthusiasm or interest? Yeah. Um, and let's see. 
um, inviting students into the learning discovery process. I think there's a place for just straight lecture of you need to know this. Mm -hmm. But there's also a, a necessary place for guiding students to become learners themselves so that they have the skills to learn things even when there's not a teacher holding their hand with it. Well, and the, the joy of discovery, like if, if you have students that are truly curious and mm -hmm. truly want to learn, it's it's okay to give them some leash and, and let them run uh, a little yeah. bit. Lewis talks about um, the joy of wrestling through problems and, you know, crotchety old professor showing up and, and just being like, this has been settled for years. Here's the answer, you know, yeah. and, and taking away that joy of learning and yeah. that joy of discovery, that joy of learning can be can be really good for students. Yeah. Uh, the last thing I'll add here is probably just fairness. We all want to be treated fairly in the classroom if we're a student. Yep. I mean, we all we, we all hate that perception of, oh, that that student over there is clearly the professor or the teacher's favorite, and so they get special treatment, and I don't. Or even just on the grading end of things, like feeling like things are graded fairly and evenly. So again, you would think those are sort of givens, but not always. What about uh, resources? Um, well, you threw this one on here. Do you want to? Do you want? Do you want to take this resource? I can. Yeah. I don't okay, know if you okay. had any others, but uh, I mean, sort of a classic in the Christian world is Howard Hendricks' book, "Teaching to Change Lives." I mean, that's kind of the gold standard. Uh, something that would be good for people to check out if they're interested in that. So, anything else on the subject of teaching? Um, I'd say I'd say if you're trying to become a teacher, um, without plagiarizing their material, copy good teaching. Yeah. Like like take the good of what you see in one teacher, the good of you see in another teacher, and try to try to bring it in and mm -hmm. also be yourself in that as well. But right. but but yeah, take take what you can learn from others. Yeah, and I think um one one good something that good teachers can do is if they know of people who want to be teachers. This works maybe a little bit less in certain academic contexts, but in the context of the church, this can work. And I know our church does this mm -hmm. where if there are people that express an interest in it but don't have much experience, they can get paired with someone who is an experienced teacher in our life ed classes or something like that oh, yeah. who helps them kind of help construct uh, a lesson and helps them think through it and that kind of stuff. So there can be a good mentoring piece to that. And speaking of teaching, you're you're teaching a class at, at church coming up here soon. I am. Yeah, we're going to go through the Gospel of Luke. From when to when? When, when is this class meeting? Uh, Lord willing, it, it's going to go the length of the school year. Okay, that's a long time. It is. It is. I'm thinking probably about maybe around thirty-five to forty sessions. Okay, class periods. So. Um, to try to get through Luke. And that sounds like, wow, that's a lot. Well, that's still like – That's still not enough for like Luke. That's like two-thirds of a chapter every week, two-thirds to three-quarters of a chapter every week. So you're still yeah. moving at a good clip. So we'll see if that – if we're able to do that, uh, keep that pace. Um, hopefully we can. But – so we are on episode 87 and, John, we need an athlete. Yeah, and 87 is a good number. Um, some good wide receivers, tight ends, and hockey players. Um, we have some options. Yeah, we do. Um, Dwight Clark. Yeah, 
a wide receiver for the uh, San Francisco 49ers and famous. Yeah, I mean, he he made one of the iconic catches in NFL history. In fact, they call it the catch. Yeah, right. Yeah, in the back of the end zone from Joe Montana in was that what year was that? Eighty one, maybe. NFC Championship game. Montana's sort of rolling out to his right and fading away, and he throws it up to Dwight Clark, who I don't know is an actual height, but in that play, he looks like he's somehow suddenly like six nine or something. Yeah, just extends to catch it in the back of the end zone for the for the win. So. Yeah, that's a good option. Uh, Sidney Crosby, Sid the Kid. Do you know, do you know much about Sidney Crosby? Just that he played for the Penguins. Okay. Still, does he still play? Still plays for the Penguins. So he's got to be ancient now. Um, yeah, uh, he's a year older than I am. <laughs> so he was, so he by was drafted athle- at by 18. athletic standards, yes. by professional athlete standards, ancient. So he's thirty four, I would guess. Yeah. So eighty seven is the year he was born. That's his number. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, he was—I mean—he was the prodigy of prodigies for hockey. You know, he was supposed to be the next great one. Whether he's quite that good, I don't yeah. think so. Uh, but has won three Stanley Cups. I want to say okay, um, quite quite good. Uh, Dave Casper, you recognize that name? No, no, not at all. So uh, tight end for the Raiders back in their seventies and early eighties days. Okay, so. Uh, Travis Kelsey, I recognize that name. Yeah, uh, tight end for the Chiefs since 2013. Um, arguably the best tight end in the NFL right now. Right now, yeah, I think so. Uh, but it's between him and the guy at San Francisco. Um, oh, Kittle, George yeah, Kittle. Yeah, George Kittle, yeah. Kelsey, I feel like, has been doing it longer. I agree. Kittle is like maybe the last two years he's kind of burst onto the scene. Yes, of... and Kittle's scary. I think Kittle's scarier than Kelsey. He's got a nasty streak about him. Yes. Yes. Kelsey looks like the kind of guy you're like, I wouldn't mind having him as a neighbor. He seems yes. like a good dude. Now, Kelsey's brother, who is the center, I think the center for the Eagles. Do you remember when he won the, won the Super Bowl and no. the speech he gave with like the craziest hat I've ever seen in my life on? I have no memory of this. Oh, you need to go look at it because he's, <laughs> he's insane. <laughs> I've heard interviews with Travis and basically the, the interview was like, what was it like fighting with your brother <laughs> as a kid? He goes, even back then he was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, Reggie Wayne. Uh, Colts legendary wide receiver from 2001 to 2014. Yep. Uh, and then we got an OSU guy that's interesting. Yes. Yeah. Fascinating. Did not know this till I did the show prep. Thomas Perdue was a tight end who played from 1959 to 1961. He, I think, was actually drafted by the Buffalo Bills, but played minor league baseball, and he became a biblical scholar. Nice. Has Wrote he... like eight to ten books, died in like 2014 or something like that, but he was a biblical scholar. Nice. Where at? What, did he I don't school? remember what school okay. he was at. So, But yeah, fascinating. Um, so we have options here, John. We have too many options. Um, Anyone that you immediately want to eliminate? Dave Casper. Okay, we can get rid of Casper the Friendly Ghost. Any guys that are present. <laughs> okay, so no Kelsey. And no Crosby. And no Crosby. Um, okay, I'm a little surprised you so quickly dismissing Sid the Kid. Yeah, I, li- I like retired individuals. Okay. Um, who does so that, that leaves us with Dwight Clark yeah. uh, and um, Reggie Wayne. Is that it? And uh, and of course uh, Thomas Purdue, but I think I like Dwight Clark. Yeah, I think it's hard to beat Dwight Clark. The catch. Okay, 
does the fact that we are an Indiana-based podcast play into any of your considerations here? I don't think so. No. <laughs> okay. Do you want to go Reggie? Do you want Reg? Um, I mean, when it comes to NFL history, there's no discussion. Dwight Clark, and mm-hmm. it wasn't just like he had just one catch. He was a key figure on those 49ers teams. Yep. Um, but Reggie Wayne played for 14 years for the Colts and was, you know, Peyton Manning's go-to guy. Then he was Andrew Luck's go-to guy. Like he, he's and he, I can't remember if he set a single season NFL record for catches at one point that was subsequently broken. But um, so the fact that he did it longer, I don't know. That's where I'm torn. Okay. But I feel like I think I've picked the last two when we've been at uh, a bit of an impasse. Okay. So I'll uh, I'll defer to you. I'll take Dwight Clark. Okay. Dwight Clark it is. One thing you liked. All right. uh, So as alluded to at the open of the show, I have had uh, yellow jacket problems. They are burrowing underneath the siding on my house. That's rough. Um, And you can't spray that because it's underneath the siding on your house. Uh, So I found this beautiful product called Delta Dust. (laughs) Have you heard of Delta Dust, Matt? I have not. You put it in a little mini bellows-like thing. Yeah. And you spray it underneath the siding and these these things get covered in it. And over the next three, four days, they just die. Okay. Um, So Delta Dust uh, made by Bayer. (laughs) Okay, and if there are any um, advertising executives or uh, representatives from from, from Bear d- from yeah. Bear listening to the program, we would be opening open to a sponsorship. So you can contact us uh, through our various channels there on social media or by email. Yeah, absolutely. We would love to talk. We about would that. love to promote your product for a price. Yes. So a, a small fee, even. Yeah. <laughs> any amount of money. <laughs> Even just some free product. We could yes. probably work it that way, couldn't we? Yeah. Some Delta oh, yeah. dust. Uh, does it does it come in like bags? Like what does it come in? No, it comes – because it's poison. I think they want it in something a little sturdier. So it's in like plastic jugs. OK. But it is – it's a powder and uh, – And is it – I assume it's then dangerous to the touch for a human being. I wouldn't ingest it, no. <laughs> wouldn't mix it in with your coffee no, or anything? No, no, <laughs> I did spray it inside and then – Jumped inside real quick because I, I do not like bees at all, like zero percent. Yeah. And uh, was looking out there. I didn't see anything. So I opened up the door and I stick my head out and like these six or seven of them just fall out <laughs> and are just covered in this white powder and are stammering around like they're drunk. Yeah. For like a good – and Andrew, sat th- Andrew and I sat there and watched them for like 15 minutes as they were like constantly trying to climb the spider web uh-huh. and the spider's coming out and just attack it. It was great. <laughs> it was about 20 minutes of entertainment. The nature night. channel suddenly yes. went live on your, on your side of your house. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it was, it was wild. Gotcha. Okay. So for me, I mentioned a couple weeks ago that I'd started reading back through yeah. the Chronicles of Narnia. And so this past weekend I finished, uh, the last book, which is The Last Battle. And um, I just really enjoyed and was moved by um, Lewis's poetic description of what essentially the uh, new heavens and new earth. Hmm. You know, his, his uh, description of the, you know, the end of Narnia and the new Narnia, which is the true and better Narnia. Hmm. And just um, obviously thinking through that from a biblical perspective and thinking about – um, 
how that's that's a picture of of what Scripture says about the new creation. Yeah, and uh, it was a uh, a welcome reminder of our ultimate destination in the midst of a world that's lost its mind and and is angry about it. Yes. <laughs> so, in any case, um, also we should probably. Um, Give a shout out to our listeners down in the southern part of the of the U.S. here as they're hunkering yeah. down for uh, for Hurricane Ida, right? Ida, yes, yeah, uh, making landfall there. Uh, I think yesterday. Yeah, just west of uh, of uh, New, New Orleans. Orleans. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Did you hear? I saw a news story by the way that basically said there was a period of time because of the strength of the the tide and the and the wind that the Mississippi River flowed backwards. Really? Like normally it flows from north to south, obviously. Sure. That the strength of the hurricane was such that for for a time, it was actually flowing from south to north. Hmm. Now think about the force of nature necessary for that to happen. Oh, yeah. Uh, remarkable. So um, I've got a professor friend that teaches down at RTS and they're in Jackson, Mississippi. So not quite near the epicenter, but still – their classes were canceled today at RTS. A lot of rain, a lot of wind. A lot of rain, a yeah. lot of wind. Um, and actually, the RTS campus in Jackson doesn't have power today. So who knows how long that will last. But Ugh. in any case, uh, hopefully you're staying safe if you're listening to us from the southern part of the U.S. And, of course, continue to pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. Yeah. Um, so we've talked sports. We've talked what makes a good teacher. I've vented about cicadas We've talked about. Um, you did vent about cicadas. Yeah, that was a little unexpected. Yeah, well, you got to keep our. That was, I gotta, didn't know that was coming. Got to keep our listeners on their toes here. Uh, we talked about several athletes and landed on Dwight Clark of the Catch Fame. And uh, you promoted a new product on our show. Delta Dust. Delta Dust. It's a good name. It's a good name. So I think. Um, by definition, we've covered our various and sundry topics. You ready to call mission accomplished? I think so. Okay. And so at this point, all that's left to say is the Lord bless y'all real good. Later. Later.